Welcome to another episode of the Photography Chat. We're uh, season three, episode 35, and we're here with Bill Manning. And we're in two places. We're on Instagram Live and YouTube at the same time. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, wow. I didn't know that we were on YouTube at the same time. The pressure's on. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing that's fun is that like cool. no one actually watches on YouTube yet, but maybe one day. Who knows? You know? Well, uh, well, well, I'll have to definitely spread the word about it. So I'm excited <laughs> to be on here. Yeah, I just spent a bunch more money on a thing that makes me no money. So, um, you know, that's, it, it's been fun. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I've been doing the, the podcast for five years. And, you know, I would certainly say I'm very much in the red on it. So it, I, it's a labor of love. So it's, I totally understand. It's, it's kind of wild it. how it happens though, right? Because like. Yeah been this is season three now and up until the start of season three i did all of the recordings with this like jabra speak 510 bluetooth conference speaker that i used to use for work and then i had a few people be like hey is there any way you can make the audio better and i was like sure and then i bought like a zoom pod track for I really wanted to buy a Procaster, but my friend was like, you don't need the Procaster. Just uh, just buy the... And I'm like, yeah, but I think... And he's like, no, no, no. Just buy the, buy the fucking Zoom. And it was like, okay. But then I was always like... I was longing for the Roadcaster. So then I caved and bought the fucking Roadcaster. Two months before the Roadcaster Pro 2 came out, which I'm not salty oh, about. Of course. Not salty about that at all. But the, uh, okay. the, the Roadcaster was a game changer. Like, yeah, even for like a casual podcaster, I think is worth the, worth the investment. It's a pretty fucking cool system. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I strongly considered it for the longest time. And, you know, I certainly went through all my kinds of crazy iterations and I ended up finding like a, a zoom H six and, uh, that really, and this thing's from like, Oh geez, and it hadn't been updated in so long. And then I bought it. And then the the new version of the H6 came out, and I was just like, "Come on, you know." So uh, I, I know that frustration as well. So, but uh, this little Zoom H6 is, uh, you know, I used to have really big setups. You know, I had a 16 channel mic uh, setup and everything. And you know, when we did the podcast in the blanket fort, you know, it was like a big setup kind of thing, and it took hours to set up. And then, then we had to tear it all down, and then. You know, and when I got this Zoom H6, it was just like we were set up in like five minutes. I was like, man, I've been doing this wrong for so long. The, the Zoom stuff is really cool. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't hate yeah. the, the pod track uh, recorder. It was excellent. Like, if you're looking at getting started uh, with, with podcasting, uh, it's a great start. But the sound processing yeah. in the Roadcaster is something else. And, and Stanley said here that I yeah. sounded like I was in a cave with the old uh, thing. Rode makes really great <laughs> hardware. I'm not really happy with their mic so far. Like I was using a Rode pod mic for the last, um, well, since I started using the zoom and it just, it never sounded good. It sounded a little bit better with the roadcaster, but it's still like mm -hmm. people were complaining about like how I sounded. And, um, I think two episodes now I switched to a sure SM 58 and this thing has been oh, fucking yeah. magnificent. Like, you know, yeah. I, 
I sound velvety in my own can, so <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of fun. <laughs> and then last week, a friend SM- was, was that. Oh, I was going to say the SM58 is like a legendary uh, uh, microphone. Um, I mean, like, what was it? I think it was going all the way back to like the days of Metallica. Yeah. You know, where uh, that's where it kind of got its legendary status and everything along those lines. So it, it really hasn't changed that much since, you know, the the heydays of Metallica at all. So it's, it's legendary. I, I know exactly what you mean. It, it's such a nice mic. And, um, if, when I have guests in the studio here, um, they, they use PG 48s or the PGA 48s, which also sound really good. But I was like, you know, um, since I'm a fancy guy, I'm going to buy a fancier mic for myself. Everyone's like, buy the SM seven B. But I'm like, I, I can't justify that jump yet. Like, you know, especially since they're yeah. effectively the same fucking microphone more or less. Um, yeah, but I did. A friend convinced me to buy an A10 Mini Pro last week, so um, I was going to try and do some like dumb shit with OBS and, and stuff like that. But I've never, I've never had much luck with OBS ever. It's always like yeah. been really upsetting. And he's like, "Don't punish yourself. Just just buy a, an A10 Mini Pro." And it's like, I don't, he's like, I'll bring it over to your studio and you can play with it. And I was kind of mad about that because like, as soon as I played with it, I'm like, okay, I need this now. So it makes YouTube <laughs> streaming so much easier because you could stream right from the fucking thing. So it's like, oh. it's wicked awesome. Um, someone's asking what my YouTube link is. I have no idea. But if you go on YouTube and you look up Merlin DB, um, you'll probably find it there. So you can try that anyway. Sorry. Long tangent on like, uh, podcasting. Why don't you uh, say a little bit about yourself there, Bill, and and introduce yourself to the crowd. All right. Awesome. Well, uh, first of all, Merlin, thanks for having me on. Uh, It is uh, a different beast being on the other side of the table, being the person that's uh, being interviewed after doing years and years of interviews. But I'm sure we're going to get into some awesome conversations, so it's just going to kind of just fall naturally. Um, uh, But, uh, yeah, I've... I've uh, been a photographer for a little bit more than a decade. The first five years were uh, digital. Uh, you know, I got a, uh, a Nikon D90 um, when, uh, you know, uh, we were going, to, I was getting married and, you know, we needed a good uh, camera for, you know, our trip to Europe and everything. And so bought the D90 and, you know, like your, it came with the standard, um, I think it was the 18 to 105 and then, got the 55 the 200 and then a uh uh i think i like rented the tokina 11 to 16 or something like that i can't even remember but uh i essentially knew almost nothing when in uh, going into europe and everything and um and so it kind of got back and it just kind of spiraled out of control and then just started doing um you know, portrait sessions for friends and stuff like that. And then it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And then, you know, those lens, those little cheap lenses turned into, you know, the Nikon Holy Trinity and everything. And then, uh, uh, and then, you know, it just, you know, got a little out of control. Uh, and then about five years into to it, um, I, a family friend had passed away and left me a Yashica 635 and a Retina 2A and um and so they were all jammed up and everything just they didn't work at all 
and um, and so there's a camera place uh, not too far uh, where they repair it. So they completely restored it and everything, and uh, went to a little camera store uh, called Dunwoody Photo, and um, knew nothing about film photography. And I said, "Hey, I got this, you know, little Yashica." Um, I don't even know anything. I just want to buy a roll of film and see if this thing works. And so they handed me a roll. I think it was Provia or yeah, I think it's Provia 100 and, um, took it and, you know, I didn't even really had know how to meter film or anything along those lines. So I just figured, okay, I'll just set my camera to my Nikon to like 100 mm-hmm. and then just take a couple exposures, digitally get an idea and say, okay, that looks right. And then, you know, just kind of shot, uh, you know, some pictures with, with it based off what the digital camera told me. And I took it in and, you know, a few days later I came back and, um, they showed me the slides and I was hooked. And, um, I, I was just completely mind blown that a camera from like 1959 just looked so good. And, um, and so I was like, I got to know more about this, you know? And, um, and then it just kind of, I loitered, uh, I guess is probably the better word, uh, at the lab. And, uh, you know, there were many days where I was late from lunch and like my boss was like getting super ticked about how late I was. And like, I was showing up like three, four times a week, uh, to, to the lab just to understand and, you know, just kind of, uh, get an idea of all this. And so it just was soaking it up like a sponge. And, uh, and then it just kind of, uh, one day, it was just, uh, Steven, uh, who was helping out at the lab and Michael, the owner of Dunway Photo, uh, said, you know, I got this crazy idea. Let's go to dinner and let's, let's talk about, you know, maybe starting a podcast up or something. And so we went to dinner and dinner was like three hours long. And uh, just talking about everything film photography related, and, but, but and what did what did you guys have? The for, end of it, what did you have for dinner though? Uh, I, I had a burger and some okay. beers, so many beers. Um, and uh, but by the end of it, I kind of already knew we could do this. And so the original intent around it was that um, it would just be because we have kind of like the Atlanta film photographers. Facebook group. So it kind of, it was just kind of like a thing that, you know, was originally intended for Atlanta. And then, uh, we had KH camera. Uh, we had some friends that worked there and we said, Hey, it would be cool to have KH camera on KH camera came on. We did an interview and, um, uh, we did actually like a three, three episode series, one on 35, one on medium format, one on a large format, I think. And, um, and one of the guys knows, Bellamy Hunt, and he's like, dude, I'll send Bellamy an email right now. We can get Japan Camera Hunter on the show. I was like, yeah, that'd be really cool and everything. And then it actually happened, and then that was kind of like the first time it kind of like blew up, and I was just like, this is way more than just Atlanta, right? right? And um, and then that's when you know they're like, uh, KH was I admit they they're like instrumental as far as like being able to connect this with people because they're like, Hey, we know the guys over at Cinestill film. You want to interview them? I was like, let's do it. You know? So it just like, it just 
you know, we, we were not even 10 episodes in and we were already like hitting these huge names that I never even, like, I, I felt stupid, you know, interviewing <laughs> the, the brothers at Cinestill Film because I really didn't know the company all that much. And like, I called them the Wright brothers, you know, it was just like, what, what am I doing here? These, these aren't guys making airplanes, you know? And so it was like the brothers right at the time, you know? So I just felt really, really dumb, you know, just, was just so naive about everything, but you know, I just kept going at it and I realized that I was learning so much through all these conversations. And, and I think that was kind of the key for kind of its growth was that it was kind of like my hunger to, to understand and learn. Um, and that, that kind of was just always one of those things that my genuine curiosity about the guests that came onto the show was always the, the number one thing and you know we talked about news and we you know bantered about that and stuff like that and you know and it was kind of funny because uh there was there was a a program model that i followed and that was back if you remember um uh chronos photo the raw talk um that was kind of like the the i follow that model and cause I knew I enjoyed the content on that show and I was really disappointed when he pulled the plug on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but like, I was like, if that worked for him, it's got to work for us. And so if you kind of pay attention to how the show is laid out, it, it's very, it's laid out very similar to how he had that show. And so, uh, so yeah, that was just kind of, uh, how it just kind of grew. And then, you know, a co- couple of seasons in, you know, uh, Kodak was inviting us to go up to Rochester to interview them at the Kodakery. And like, it was, it was just, uh, an incredible five years of just incredible people that I'm eternally grateful for, for meeting and, you know, crossing paths with them. That's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that story. Um, yeah, I do have to admit though, I, since this is the first time using the ATEM, I kind of fucked up in the first like eight minutes of us talking didn't end up on YouTube because I thought it was like, and I'm like, why does it keep saying preview? And do you want me to do the whole thing over again? No, 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 no. I'm not going to make it's, it's, it'll be on, it'll be on the podcast. Like, cause I, I record the audio off of the roadcaster and that, that goes into all the streaming thing or into like all of the um, podcast platforms. Um, but I'm going to do, a late YouTube intro, so we gotta listen to that music again one more time. So, all good. Yeah. So sorry, everyone, that you have to listen to the intro music a second time because I'm an idiot. But welcome to Photography Chat. We've got Bill Manning with us here, and uh, it's been fun. Photography Chat. I think it's gonna be even more fun. Someone says here, Bill's beard knows photos. <laughs> I'm like the opposite. Of- I have no hair up here. It's all down here. So I'm like the opposite of his fro. I um that <laughs> just makes bro. me think of like bow nose, which is like that ages me. If you know what that is, then you know that I'm old because you're also old too. <laughs> yep. Awesome. That is awesome. But, but dude, the Kodak factory, that place, right? Yeah. I I got to see it in 2019 and I'm still, Oh wow. I'm still like digesting that. Like just the scale yeah. that, that everything is there to make film is, is, um, 
like the idea of buildings as machines still i haven't i haven't fully digested that yet because it was just so wild it, you certainly have an appreciation for the people that work there right because i mean you know the, the crazy fact that you know matt stoffel gave us you know on, on the those types of tours is like you know, at one point, you know, the perf machines were going at full force that like you could actually, you know, at the time was the Richter scale, but you could actually see the needle moving on the Richter scale as far as like those perf machines were running. And then I think at the peak of 2003, they made almost a billion rolls of film. Oh man. Um, so you can imagine as we were, you know, walking down those halls, uh, you know, a billion rolls coming out of that at that time is mind boggling. Well, in, and even just the sensitivity of things like Matt was telling us this story when we were at the, um, at the coding facility, when we were standing next to the coder and, um, he was telling us how they had like a VIP tour going on while it was in production. So they were coding and they found out that, the VIP visit ruined a whole batch of film because they were like 20 feet away from the coder, but the um, vibrations from them having a conversation 20 feet away from the coder rippled the, um, the, the coding and it like, it ruined like a whole batch. They had to just like throw it out. So it's like now when it's running, no one's allowed anywhere near it. It's, it's kind of wild. Wow. Yeah. When, when we went, uh, we were there when they were finishing. And so one of the big eye openers for us at that time was, uh, and Steven came up uh, with me on the tour and, you know, they had the machine and you see the boxes coming down and moving throughout and all that stuff. And so I was like, Oh, that's really cool. Well, where, where do you guys do 120? And there, they were like, Oh, well we unplug this machine. We roll it out of the way. And then we roll this machine in. And, uh, and that is, and then we plug that in and then we do 120. I was like, so hold on, time out. So this one machine is responsible for delivering film for the entire world. And he was like, yeah, pretty much. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and that was probably uh, about a year before when, you know, all the price increases when they say, Hey, we're making investments on expanding production or all that. So like, that was like right before all that, like literally it was like one machine that they were down to that made film for, for the entire world up to about 2018. It was, it was just like mind boggling, you know, and they were just getting ready to announce Ectochrome too, or release Ectochrome. That's wild. Sorry. I I got distracted because Stanley is our one sole watcher in the YouTube uh, stream. And uh, apparently there's a delay on the YouTube stream, which doesn't surprise me. Um, I think it's like 10 or 20 seconds or something. But what he's, he, oh. I, I apparently sound a million percent more Canadian on uh, YouTube than I do on here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I, I guess it, uh, Instagram does some processing to the audio or something because um, the uh, the YouTube feed is getting audio straight out of the roadcaster and into the ATEM, but um, yeah, that the the factory was um, just it was ins- and the passion of the people there I think is what I left with the the 
greatest feeling for was um by the after meeting all those people and like hearing their stories and how like you know several of them were like several generations of kodakers i was like i want to fucking work at the factory now like well i i need to like dismantle my life in canada so i can move to rochester and like get a job at the factory Well, I mean, you're not far from Niagara between Rochester. I think it's only about an hour or so, you know, but, uh, uh, yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, just speaking to the engineers, I mean, they're absolutely brilliant people. And I literally, I tip my hat to, to every single person that works there because, um, you can tell their dedication, mm-hmm. uh, to the process. And, and I left there just so appreciative of, of what we have. Right. You know, so. Uh, I know that we'll certainly get into, you know, me talking about the endeavor and, you know, some of the crazy things that I've said on, on the internet about, you know, uh, uh, prices and stuff like that. But I mean, like at the end of the day, you know, it, it's like you under, you kind of understand there's a bit of a level of understanding. And I think, um, Destin from, uh, from smarter every day did a fantastic job. Uh, you know, covering that. I mean, literally, I have probably, I mean, the fact that he put all the footage up is just absolutely amazing. Like, I have footage, hours and hours of footage that I I never released from the video that I did because it was just like drinking water from from a fire hose. It's like, I don't know how to, like, tell this other than do I just put clips of everything and just, like, not make it let 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 it not make any sense you know like i just i didn't know what to do with it and then i sat on that for a very long time because i really struggled as far as how do i tell you know the story of this visit and it was incredibly difficult i mean that 10 minutes took me a year and a half you know and granted i mean there's there were certainly other projects involved with that as well but you know um it, it was difficult just sitting down going i don't know i don't know how to do this but that's a when you don't know how to do something. If if you really want to take a crack at it, just just sit down and try. Like, um, yeah, I didn't know how to do any of this stuff three years ago. <laughs> I still have no idea yeah. what I'm doing. But um, yeah, it's it's been fun. Like just kind of figuring it out. And I couldn't imagine how difficult that would have been to go through all of that footage and just pare it down to ten minutes. Like, Jesus. Like what? There's so well, much cool shit point, there. It is. It really is. And I, it got to a point where you know, and made so many friends in the motion picture industry and everything. Where I just reached out to some people. I'm like, hey, you have a non-biased view because, like, I think everything is important. In this. So literally, it got to a point. It's like I will pay you to edit this. Mm-hmm. You know, and like just go through this footage and let's get me a first draft, a first cut at this thing. And then like, you know, and then once I got that first cut, I was like, okay, I see where you're going with this. Let's have a conversation, how we can improve, you know, the foundation to the story. And then at that point, then we were able to kind of move forward with it because at that point it was just like, they took stuff from like the Eastman museum. And then it was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Now I see what you're doing. Okay. Let's do this and do that. And then, you know, everything just kind of really fell into place at that point. So, uh, so sometimes you just kind of have to say, I'm, I'm in too deep with it. And, you know, you just got to have to kind of separate yourself and, you know, uh, kind of tr- trust other people with it, you know? 
Yeah, that's a great point because like when you're too close to it, it's it's really hard. So it's it's um yeah. nice to just have an um a voice and an opinion from the outside to get you through that. Otherwise yeah. you end up in like um what is it, analysis paralysis where you're just like yeah. going over and over and trying to figure shit out. Um big shout out yeah. to Matt at Kodak. I love that guy. He's like the fucking best. Um and also to Tim yeah, Rayugo. Tim Tim's the 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 uh, just greatest of all time. Like all the Kodak yeah, folks are so they, nice. He, they are. They uh, Tim is definitely the goat. He uh, uh, funny story. I'll tell you this one about uh, Tim. So we interviewed Tim at a um, uh, conference in the Imaging USA is the conference. It's it's kind of like you know the one of the big photography con and Kodak Alaris was there. And so I had reached out to him prior and said, Hey, it'd be really cool to meet you and, uh, interview you. Uh, you know, could we set up some time to, to, you know, interview you and all that? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. And so I, you know, this is the time where I had all this crazy gear, you know, that 16 channel, uh, uh, mic, uh, set up and everything along those lines. And so, uh, we got into, uh, the suite that Kodak had, uh, Kodak Alaris had, uh, uh, leased or used for that space. And so we ended up converting that into, um, a studio. And what ended up happening was I left the power plug to the unit at my hotel room. Cause I did a, a quick check and everything was in there except for the power plug. And so we did everything, we set everything up and like, uh, Tim came in and like, I was like, oh my God, um, I can run back to the hotel, which is, I wasn't at, uh, the same hotel that they were at. I would have had it driven 15 minutes down the road and another 15 minutes back and everything. And so like, I just felt so incredibly dumb and, uh, he was just like, Hey, can we, can we do this tomorrow? Cause he had just finished a, a photo walk and like, it was like 18 degrees outside, you know? And so like he, you know, I, I felt like, I was like, Oh my God, I felt so embarrassed. Like this was like my first shot at interviewing, you know, you know, an incredible person. And I completely screwed it up. And, and I'm eternally grateful that, you know, we, we had a second attempt. And from that point on, I made sure that I had all my equipment on our like road trip style, uh, interviews and everything. Like there was, I will never make that mistake ever again. It was, it was terrible. So, I, I yeah. appreciate that story because, um, I need to hear stuff like that. Um, cause I'm going to be doing a live stream at Policon at the end of the month. Oh, cool. And so it's like, I keep making like a mental note of like all the shit that I need to bring so that I could like, you know, have the, the podcast stuff and like have the video stream and, all these things. And I'm just like, what am I going to forget in Canada and hope that I could like prime <laughs> to <laughs> somewhere down there when, when I'm there. Yep. So, um, yeah, it should be fun. If you get a chance, you should uh, definitely come out to Texas sometime. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Texas is not as far as, uh, one would think from Atlanta. So I, I should, uh, certainly consider that. So, uh, uh, I want to take a note of that and actually see if I can get it out there. Yes, double check your double checks. 
Yeah, I'm I'm terrible with that. Like, it, well, like my memory was shit before, but then um, after the car accident a couple of years ago, my memory's been like even shittier. So it's um, mm. yeah. There's some days that I don't even remember like what I had for lunch like after I ate it. <laughs> oh, I I'll go to the refrigerator and then I'll just stand in front of it for a good thirty seconds and go, "What was I here for?" Um, I'm definitely a you know, the, the, the 40s are creeping up on me. 40s are weird, man, because I, I turned 40 last year, yeah. and, um, yeah, it it didn't feel as fucked up that it was 35. For some reason, 35 felt really fucking weird. 40 was just kind of like, eh, you know, it's, it's all, there's been I a couple. I think it's the realization that you're, you know, it's that realization that you're like, oh, my God, I'm actually am middle-aged. You know, I think that's where that kind of like that shock value hits at 35 and then like 40, it's kind of like I'm, I'm 37. Um, and so for me, it's just kind of like, you know, all right, great. It's just downhill from this point on, like, you know, my shoulder hurts for no reason now, you know, so it's just, you, know, you start breaking down. <laughs> and, and well, it's kind of weird too. Cause like when, when I turned 35, I started getting like a little tiny, like streak of, of white in, in my beard. And then just yep. as the years go on, it's just like more and more where it's just like, you know, I'm going to look like fucking Santa Claus in a couple of years. Um, <laughs> which I'm, I'm not upset about that. You know, I think that'd be kind of like funny to, you know, do the like whole ho, ho, ho thing. Um, <laughs> the forgetful shit though, a few times now I've like put stuff in my fridge thinking it was my microwave and wondering why I haven't heard a beep yet. And then being like, where the fuck did I put that food? And it's just like sitting in my fridge where I'm just like, why would my brain even think that the fridge is now a microwave? Like, <laughs> it's like I, I literally take stuff out of the fridge, put it on a plate and then put it like back in the fridge on the plate. And like, you know, sitting around like 15 minutes later, it's like, where, where's the beep? <laughs> Well, if there's one thing that I'm appreciative uh, as a photographer of my age is that my, like, long-distance viewing has gotten really kind of crummier, but, like, when I get up under, like, my 8 by 10 here, like, when I see focused land, like, it's just, like, I don't question it. Like, I could get in there with a loop, but I can, I see it at land that's, like, dead on and everything, so, you know, fingers crossed that I keep that for, you know, for as long as possible. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm thankful for like that precision, you know, like I'll still focus manually and all that stuff. And, um, you know, and so I have not had a need for, uh, you know, getting a diopter or any of that stuff. So hopefully, uh, age does not uh, take that away from me. Right. So, uh, take anything else uh, other than my, my eyes. So, yeah, that's that's the one thing I get super freaked out about as I get older is is my vision because like I'm also noticing more floaties in in my eyes and I'm just like, um, but I do have to admit I've been admiring your eight by ten in the background there. And so, what's the story with that guy? Uh, so uh, that's the intrepid uh, um, eight by ten Mark II. Um, I. You know, it kind of was just kind of like just moving, progressing up through the formats, you know. It was just like, yeah, I had the TLR and everything, but I never really kind of like 
took it seriously initially. And so it was like, oh, I'm going to get this 35 cam millimeter camera. And like I shot with an X700 forever. And then, uh, and then that X700 turned into, you know, the Mamiya, uh, uh, what is it? AFD2. You know, and I was like shooting 645 for a while. And then I was like, oh, I got to go bigger, you know. Uh, and and then, you know, I got a Shenhao 4x5. And then, you know, shot on that. I still have that camera. It's a fantastic camera. I love my Shenhao. And and it's kind of funny. A lot of people think it's a Chamonix. Um, but uh, kept shooting it for a while. And I just kind of said, you know, I don't want to ever see myself going 8x10. And then uh, at the beginning of this year, I don't know what possessed me. I was just like, I'm going to get an eight by 10 camera. And so like I did a lot of research, like, you know, the, the entry into like a decent eight by 10, like the price jump is like substantial. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I just kind of threw it out on to like Twitter and just said, Hey, you know, those that shoot eight by 10, what do you guys think? And, you know, a lot of people, chimed in about intrepid and so you know the people that i spoke to uh privately about intrepid you know they're not perfect cameras but i mean you know what would you get for it at the price point that they're at you know they're fantastic cameras and so you know this one you know worked out great for the longest time and then maybe i think maybe just georgia humidity just changed the wood differently and there was a little bit of separation between um the the film holder and then um, and, and the, uh, film holder itself and then the back standard. And it was like the slightest little gap and like, it just started flashing, you know, long exposures in, in that corner. And so, oh. you know, I reached out to Intrepid and they were like super like, you know, like we're, we're sending you another compartment, you know, another piece that hooks back into there, you know, and see if that fixes it. And so while that was coming, um, I ended up kind of just putting felt completely all around the edges and that like that solved the problem. Like, and I haven't had any issues with like focus, like the, the focus plane is still like dead on and everything. And so I got the spare components or anything, but I haven't had a need to, you know, swap it out yet because this thing is like, yeah, yeah, there you go. Mr. <laughs> uh, but my Holga does not have lightly. I have a magic Holga and, and we should talk about Holga week too, because I am judging that. But, um, my Holga, I swear, is like the sharpest Holga because like that thing is, uh, I bought it for like 30 bucks and I was just like, damn, this thing is actually pretty damn good for, for a $30 camera. And I, and did it in a studio and it was, uh, I was really impressed with it. So, uh, so yes, um, uh, I don't get light leaks on, on my Holga, maybe some of the older stuff, but, um, so anyway, so yeah, this 8x10, you know, uh, I, I heard things about, you know, light leaks and stuff like that. And so I started off with some really cheap film, just started, you know, rifling through that. For the most part, I shot four by five for so long that like progressing to eight by 10 was like no big deal. And, um, and so at that point it was just like became second nature to me. And then I just, uh, you know, I was like, all right, now I'll buy, you know, Portra 160 or Portra 400 for it. Cause you know, th those are like, you know, $200 for like 10 sheets, you know, so more now, I think it's like 250 bucks. Um, so, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, in interviewing like Clyde Butcher, Clyde would say, you know, Hey, I would go out 
And if the clouds weren't right, I wasn't even going to take a picture, you know? And, and I was just like, yeah, but I mean, if you do all that, like, especially walking through like swamps and stuff like that, at least like take a picture and yeah. like make it worth it. Right. You know, just like force that one shot. And he's like, no, no, not if it's not right, it's not right. I'm not going to take that picture. And with eight by 10, when I get there and it's, and it's, if it's not right, I won't waste the money to take that shot. Cause if it's like Porsche 400, I'm like, this shot's going to cost you 25 bucks. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm not going to spend that. You know, that's just, you know, like throw that money, you know, rip it up and, you know, throw it away. Cause that's essentially what you're doing. If you're going to try to force the shot. So I, I certainly eight by 10 has certainly given me a level of discipline that, you know, I'm very selective about my shots. Um, just simply because the amount of money is very real, you know, the cost uh, behind it is very real. So, um, so even then like a roll of 36 for me now, like takes forever because I'm just, <laughs> and it's not because of the money. It's just, it's just, I'm so selective about going, is this worth taking a picture on this? And like, no, but you know, um, you know, am I on like any kind of shortage of film? No, I mean, I, I mean, I got I'm finding roles. I mean, I I got a roll of film right here, just within arm's reach. If I, you know, so um, it's just that's the mindset that you know I kind of started taking on from you know just these larger formats. And uh, thirty six will take me forever now. Like I could, I used to be able to turn through a roll like a day. Uh, now it's like a few weeks, especially if I'm like testing film. Like I just need to, you know, just be like, Hey, you know, I'm testing out a, uh, this is one of the role films. I can't really show it, uh, too much. Uh, maybe I'll talk, talk about it a little bit later tonight. Um, but, uh, it's just a test roll. I got like 400 feet of it. Why am I being so selective on it? It like, stop it, Bill. Go take three or four pictures of the same thing. Like do, do an exposure test, do one under, one over, one in the middle, you know, like I, I, I just can't do it, you know? So, um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, that's the discipline that I've had. And, you know, and I think, you know, the, the funny mantra that people say, Oh, this film slows me down. Well, you know, uh, everybody kind of has their own reasons for it. And, you know, some people burn through it, you know, they'll go on a week long trip, and, you know, burnt through 40 rolls and I burnt through four, you know, it's just, everybody's kind of different as far as their approach with film. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, um, yeah. I've definitely noticed four by five slowed me down a lot. Um, I'm in the process of making a jump to eight by 10. Um, I'm either buying an intrepid in Texas or a Deerdorf here. Yeah, my friend Henry has been teasing me with with his. He has this beautiful Deerdorf eight by ten, and um, he showed it to me a few months ago, being like, "Hey, look at this!" And I was like, "This is beautiful. Do you want it?" Nah, I don't want to sell it. You know, me and this camera, we've been <laughs> we've been through so much. And then like the other week, he's like, ah, "I think it's I think it might be time to sell the Deerdorf." And I'm like, "Oh, really? What do you want for it?" I don't know if I want to sell it now. <laughs> it's like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped by his house to drop off. Well, you know, oh, so go ahead. I was going to say, you know, it's funny though, like at the same time, like gear dorks and all that, they're beautiful cameras and everything. I personally, for me, like if it was a camera that, you know, beautiful, uh, that rare, 
uh, I probably would be less inclined to shoot it. Like if this thing like toppled over or something like that, I'm like, yeah, or well, I mean, yeah, it'd be kind of bummed because you know it's still kind of expensive camera. But like at the same time, just like okay, well, that's that that the uh, you know the the risk of the game. I know like uh, you know Ben Horn, has, you know he he's had numerous eight by ten cameras, you know, get blown over and then they bust open and all that stuff. So. You know, these cameras, like, I'm, for me at least, I'm not going to buy a camera that's going to sit up on the shelf and not be used. Like, I, I'm going to use the camera. Like, every camera, like, you know, some people will even freak out the way that I handle my M6. You know, they're like, why Why are you holding it like that? Why do you have it over your shoulder? Put it around your neck. I'm just like, use it. It's a tool. Just use it, you know? And so, yeah. like, if people will say it has patina. No, it. it eat the hell up, you know, and it, you know, uh, those types of cameras have been, you know, been to war and back, you know, like they're designed mm. to take a beating. And, and, um, so any of my cameras that I have, they're going to be, uh, put to work, you know, and so not, not, uh, you know, little ornaments on the, on the wall. Well, I, so the, the Deerdorf would probably end up just being like a studio camera mostly. Um, for, yeah. for that very reason, like it's, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful camera. Like I went to his house to drop off a tripod on the weekend that I borrowed and uh, he's like, you have a few minutes. And I was like, I did have a few minutes, but it turned into a couple of hours, which I didn't have. Um, and so I was like, I was rushing to get to a shoot afterwards, but, um, yeah, he like, he's like, well, now that you finally brought my tripod back, we can set up the Deerdorf and I can show you how large format works. And I'm like, Henry, I know how large. He's like, no, I need to show you because he used to be a photo teacher for like decades. Um, so he like showed me all of the cool things about his Deerdorf and all the lenses he had and everything. And uh, then he's like, well, now that I've tortured you with this, I hope that I've uh, effectively dissuaded you from wanting to purchase this camera. <laughs> like, no, I really want to buy it more. And I was like, well, all right. And I'm like, okay. So what he's like, all right, well, thanks for visiting. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to like, I'll see myself. Out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I might, I might end up with a deer dwarf, but who knows? Um, definitely still thinking about the Intrepid though, just to have like a, a, a camera to take out in the field. Cause, um, I, I just, like you said, they're, they're precious and they're, they're kind of rare. So I wouldn't want to like smash it up. Um, I'm curious though, yeah. have you, uh, cause it's obvious that you hate money just as much as every other photographer does. Um, have you, have you gone down the path of eight by 10 Polaroid yet? Um, yeah. Uh, and, I, it, it's over there, but, uh, I have shot a box of it and, um, uh, actually I got to send the processor back. Um, Matt Marash, uh, was incredibly gracious to let me, uh, borrow his, uh, uh, Polaroid eight by 10 holder and processor. And, um, it, it, it's an amazing, uh, uh, process. Mm-hmm. Um, difficult to shoot because you're literally dealing with uh, dynamic range that's much narrower than uh, slide film. 
and like you're talking literally like three to four stops of dynamic range. So like for me, it's, you know, I don't really think in that terms of, you know, how I expose, you know, I'm so used to meter for your shadows and stuff like that. So it's absolutely a different beast. Once you have figured it out though, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. And so, uh, so I got a, Matt Marash actually uh, even, or, uh, sent me a DM. He's like, hey, uh, so uh, can I get that processor back? I'm like, I need to send that back, like, right away, you know. So, uh, so Matt, if you ever watch this, man, thank you so much for uh, letting me uh, borrow it. And I promise you, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get mailed this week. This week. I promise. They're, they're so, getting a bit harder uh, to find now. Um, yeah. Unless you pay the Cat Labs tax. And and uh, Dunwoody Photo has the processor, but it doesn't work. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll get a crank for it and see if the crank, because there's a little slot on the side where you can just do it by hand. And then, you know, it's, what's, uh, what's broken you don't with have the, to worry about the motor. What's broken with their processor? I, I think it's just, uh, it just doesn't turn on. So I think the rollers and everything are still perfectly fine. It just, it, it just doesn't power on. You should, it, you know, if they're not watching or anything, you should give them a low ball offer on it and take it home. What's probably wrong with it is there's a power capacitor that always explodes on them um, due to age. It's like a $5 part. You just swap that out. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> Well, they're good friends, so I'm, I'm sure uh, the guys over at Dunwoody will, uh, if I can say, hey, can I you know, borrow this and see if I can get it working, uh, they'll probably just say, yeah, go for it. So uh, so I might, I'll, take you, I'll take you up on it. I might actually shoot your DM on that, um, and then uh, that's good news for me to, uh, to just get the holder then at that point. So, And uh, I see my friend Julie Hunter is on, on here. She's also a guest on the show. Uh, oh, nice. So we, we had a fantastic conversation um, about the organization that uh, she ran, uh, which was called Rise. And uh, that was a network between um, uh, models and photographers that, um, you know, had an, a platform where they could talk about, you know, creepy photographers and guys with cameras and stuff like that, where, you know, they can warn each other about, you know, that, that environment and, you know, overall give each other, uh, support. She, she started an amazing program and, uh, highly recommend, you know, for both photographers and, and models, if they're listening to this or watching this, uh, to definitely give it a, uh, to check that out. I don't think Julie's running that anymore. She is, uh, on to, uh, other amazing projects, but, uh, the, the group is very much still running and, uh, she started an amazing thing. That's awesome. It's good to have like that kind of like, uh, like register and catalog and stuff. Cause, um, you know, sadly there are a lot of, um, creepy dudes with cameras out there that, uh, use it as a tool of being all predatory and shit. And, uh, it's kind of ugly. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was right during the me too movement and everything. And so one of the things that, you know, uh, Steven and I, you know, said, Hey, you know, this is like a legitimate thing. And I think that was kind of like our first, like, you know, you know, the show was always about bantering and talking about stuff and you know, making fun of the industry and stuff like that. But like, this one was like our first one that where we were like, you know, we have to treat this so respectfully 
mm-hmm. going into this and that, um, that there there's legitimate trauma that was behind it. And so to kind of go into that with, you know, wanting to legitimately learn about this, um, was, uh, very opening, you know? And so, uh, and to a certain regard, it was just really disappointing to see how like, you know, there are some photographers out there who really take advantage for all the reasons, wrong reasons, you know, of being a photographer. And it makes it harder on people who actually legitimately have a true appreciation for the, uh, uh, for the process, you know, uh, and for the art. Um, so, uh, so the, the program that she put together was really kind of like an amazing thing for us because it was certainly bring awareness um, and uh, was very proud of that episode. Uh, Julia, I don't know if we ever kind of talked about that, but um, uh, what we accomplished in that was just amazing. You know, there, there was a little bit of hesitancy that, you know, it was going to stir up a, you know, a base of photographers, but no, everybody was like so incredibly respectful of that episode and the feedback that they provided was overwhelmingly positive. So, uh, so that really was one of those, like I felt like, yes, we did something awesome with that. That's really incredible. You know, it's, um, yeah, there needs to be a lot more awareness around that because it's still, it's still a huge problem. And, um, absolutely. You know, just men in general need to figure out how to behave a lot better because um, yeah. there's a lot of problematic dudes out there. And, uh, you know, just get fucking therapy. Call your dad and tell him to get fucked or, like, I don't know, <laughs> jerk off at home before you go well, out and ruin someone else's day. Like, there's there's, like, a million and one things you can do to, like, you know be less of a dick and not shit on other human beings. Just do that. Right. Sorry. Well, there's definitely responsibility with, you know, you know, especially with like with models, like, you know, if there's, you're about to do a shoot with a, a photographer that you've never met, you know, don't go by yourself, you know, definitely, yeah. uh, you know, bring your friend or, you know, uh, there definitely have been kind of like, you know, bring the boyfriend along and everything. And I have done shoots like that where they're like, Hey, do you mind if I bring my book? I'm like, yeah, sure. Come on, bring it. You know, we're, we're, we're just, uh, we're doing a photo shoot. Let's have fun and everything. So, um, so yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and, and like to, definitely Oh, sorry. Go ahead. A good balance between that. Yeah, definitely. Oh, like, you know, to, good balance between two. to models too. Like, um, if a photographer is not cool with that idea of like, you know, Hey, I want to bring my boyfriend along just like watch, or I want to bring a friend then that's a total red flag. Like, you know, it's like, why doesn't you want that? Like, you know, if if someone was coming to shoot in the studio here and they're like, Hey, I want some like homies to come by or like whatever. Um, you know, now that we've beat COVID and the pandemic's over, (laughs) um, it's totally cool to have people in the studio here. Um, so it's like, yeah, I I would actually like prefer that more often than not because, um, it can kind of go both ways. I've heard of some like horror stories of like, you know, models like condemning um, photographers because they didn't like how the editing went or like something like insert whatever excuse here. And, um, you know, all people can be shitty, but yeah. mostly men lately. Well, not lately. Oh, for like the last few centuries, maybe millennia, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Guys, do better. 
if you, if you see sketchy shit, say something about it. Don't don't like um, I don't know. I I watched the Woodstock documentary um, this week, and uh, mm. fuck me, what a disappointment! Like just just the behavior of all of the people in in that thing. Of, of on all sides, like you know, I I understand why they rioted and all of that, but an interesting mm-hmm. thing kind of hit me while watching that travesty unfold is that the kids of Woodstock '99 are the adults of the freedom stuff today. <laughs> <laughs> well. I- I will admit, I have not watched the documentary yet, so uh, you, you have me intrigued, so I'm going to have to jump in and, and, and watch that. So, oh, it's a, um, it's a fucking know. travesty. Like, you know, it just, it. you watch it and you're like, yeah, this is this is why their planet's burning. Like, you know, we shouldn't fix it. We should just, we should just let it burn and so that it can heal without us <laughs> because, you know, we, we don't have basic Come human decency. Yeah, come up from the ashes. We can we can come back as some sort of like other creature that maybe will be, oh sorry, excuse me, kinder and gentler to those those beings. It was really interesting and and kind of fascinating. Um, I won't do any spoilers on it, but you know Fred Durst is a dick in in it, unsurprisingly. Um, but they, right. they they tried to blame a bunch of shit on him, and it's like you know he's totally a dick, but like this wasn't his fault. Hmm. And it also was a bit triggering uh, because the, there was all of those like styles and like, you know, those personalities from like 99, 2000 that I had worked really hard to sort of like bury in the parts of my brains where all of the trauma goes. <laughs> it, like it brought all of that shit back. Like, you know, it, it was worth the watch. I'll have to add that onto my list. So yeah, I, it's been a while. I think the last documentary I really watched was the uh, the Chernobyl one, and uh, even after that one, I was like, "Oof, this was a lot to take in." <laughs> that was a really good one. That that was really well done. They did a great job on on that one. Actors were great in it too. I, I like the actors that they had in that. Um, yeah, the Woodstock one is interesting because no actors, a lot of douchebags. Yeah. Mostly all of the people that like were the money people behind it were, were douchebags. Um, very right. white. It, it was, it's a very white documentary. I'll definitely have to uh, give that a watch then. So, you know, <laughs> bust out a bottle of bourbon and just kind of get to the bottom of that bottle by the end of the, the documentary. Yeah, it's th- it's three hours long if you want to do it in one sitting because it's like three episodes or like an hour oh, wow. piece. Um, so it's like, I watched two back to back and I was like, that's, I can't handle this, the more of this poison. So it's like, I, I let it digest for a couple of days and then I'm like, all right, let's finish this last one off. So with photography (laughs) stuff, um, what has been one of your favorite moments or like a really unexpected moment that you've had that, um, you otherwise probably wouldn't have come across if it wasn't for getting into this crazy thing that we do. Mm. That's a tough one. Um, first thing that comes to mind. So the first one that comes to mind is 
uh, Clyde Butcher. Um, so I had the opportunity to, or the privilege to go down to Florida and, uh, sit down and interview him. And, um, you know, it, it was, you know, we, we got into talking about gear and stuff like that, but it, it was so much more than that. It was, you know, understanding him as a photographer and, um, and by the end of that, you know, it, I had taken so much from that that, like, um, it kind of changed me and how I thought about photography in general. And and I'll, I'll, I'll you know finish you know this story out with a quote with this, but um, you know after the interview, um, it was just kind of like the kind of knowledge that he shared with me was just something that is going to live with me forever. And, you know, and so what he said to me, and I think it was definitely a, uh, a burden kind of lifted off my shoulders because the studio C41 was always built around film photography, photography, mm-hmm. uh, this camera and that camera, the film camera, the film is better than digital and all that stuff. Right. And then after sitting down with them, uh, he said, um, film or digital photography is the medium light is light. Yeah. I like and, that. and I was just like, Oh my gosh. Like it just, at the end of that, it just was, I left knowing there was this weight lifter off my shoulders that I don't need to be, you know, this film photography guy or whatever. Like it's just, a, I, it's the medium that I, that I want to photograph on at the end of the day, it's good light. And, you know, how to use that light to tell your story as an artist and, um, and whether it's on digital or not, you know, it's, it's up to you. And, uh, take care, Mr. Holga. See you later, Mr. Holga. Jump on here, man. Um, but yeah, that, like, that was just like a huge weight lift off my shoulders. And, um, and that that is something that's going to take, you know, it's going to stick with me. And so the, the icing on the cake out of all that was uh, after the interview, he was just like, that was a really great interview. And I was like, yeah, it was awesome. I really appreciate it. He goes, yeah, yeah. You want to go get some ice cream? And I was just like, sure, let's go get some ice cream. And so like him and his wife, uh, me and my wife, we were sitting down. uh, uh, I can't remember the ice cream place, but we were just sitting there and we were just talking gear and, you know, deer dwarf cameras and, uh, you know, shift lenses and stuff like that. And then, uh, we finished the ice cream. We went back to his gallery and, um, and the light was just perfect. And so I took his portrait on four by five and it, it is a, an image that I cherish. Um, and I left there buying one of his, uh, silver gelatin prints. So that, that was an incredible moment for me that out of all the interviews and the people that I had the privilege to, to interview, that one really, really stuck with me and it will stick with me for a very long time. That's super cool. I mean, who doesn't like ice cream? Even lactose intolerant exactly. people love ice cream. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's worth it. It's worth it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I used to have dairy problems and I would still put myself through the pain of it. Cause like, you know, fucking cheese is life. Um, 
but I like that. Like light is light. And, and that's one of the things that I just loathe becoming more involved in the photography community the last few years is that, um, there's just this like fight between film and digital and like, you know, what's better and what makes you more of like a real photographer, like whatever. And it's just all kind of bullshit to me. Like whatever tool you can find that works for what you want to create, that's the best tool. Like if it's film, awesome. If it's digital, cool. Like as long as you're having fun and creating things that, that you enjoy and uh, you know, if by some luck they also resonate with other people then then that's wicked awesome. But the whole, like I, people have tried to like suck me into the whole like film digital debate. And I just, I hate that shit. Like that's one of the like chief yeah. things when I checked out that granary thing, I disliked immediately was, um, you had to like put your fucking gear in before you could even post anything. And I'm like, I don't remember what shit I use most of the time. Like, I don't even remember what film it is half the time. Like, luckily most of the time I shoot right. with like my Nikon F5 with a 50 mil. So it's like 80% of the time it's that camera. But you know, the odd time I decide to use something else. I don't know. I was borrowing a friend's like M3. I can't remember what roles I use the M3 for. Um, yeah. And it, it was kind of annoying because I also felt like it's, um, it excludes a lot of interesting creators too because there's so many great photographers out there that shoot digital. So, like, why, why cap them off? Like, you know, it would be cool if someone made something that just like celebrated photography, but that wasn't Flickr. <laughs> like Instagram mm. just for photography. Cause it's interesting when, when I hear people complain about like how Instagram doesn't care about photographers anymore and blah, blah, blah. Instagram's never cared about photographers. It's never been about that. Like we just adopted the platform right. as, as photographers because it was image based. So we were like, Oh, well we put images here. So obviously this is for us. It's like, no, it, it never was for us. We co-opted <laughs> it. Um, and like, I don't know, for me, right. it, it still works really great because like, I don't really use it for photography. I use it to talk to people like you, to, to connect with interesting right. folks. And, and to that end, it still works really fucking well. Like, you know, yeah, I don't have, I don't it, have any it, complaints. It's kind of funny because, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting because I know like when my wife got into film photography, you know, she wanted to select a camera and so you know, I think, uh, she had it better than me because she had a, a wall here of cameras that she could select <laughs> from. Like, it's like the, ma the matrix, like, well, what do you want to convey? Uh, well, I hear a lot of people talking about the M6. So can I try the M6? I'm like, all right, here you go. Try the M6, you know, like, you know, she's just like, uh, or here, try out the half squad 500 cam. Like these are cameras that like, it just, you know, I've acquired over time, you know? Yeah. So, for her, it was just like all these holy grail cameras that, you know, people wanted to try. And it was kind of funny because, um, and I don't say this funny as in I'm laughing at her. Ironic would probably be more the correct word out of this, but, um, she was missing focus mm. and she had these really great shots and everything. And then they were just soft and she was really getting defeated by, um, uh, you know, just, not them being tack sharp as she wanted. 
And I said, you know, Jess, um, maybe you should get an autofocus camera. And we had a really hard debate around that because she felt like it's not appreciated if the, you know, like autofocus does the work for you. And there's this thought process that you have to kind of endure the suck in order to appreciate the photography. Right. And it was kind of interesting to get, get that. I was like, Jess, who cares? Nobody's going to remember if the, the lens, you know, what camera or lens you use, like if it's a great image, great image should speak for itself. And I was like, let's, let's just try. Uh, and so we got her an EOS one end nice. and That's a, a really uh, nice millimeter 1.8. And it's a great camera. We've got a great deal on it over a KEH camera. And, uh, we, we did a couple trips with it and like her images were like dead sharp every single time. And she was just having fun. And I was like, this is it. I was yeah. like, you are, you are supposed to be having fun with this. And, and that's the most important. There's no having to endure the stuck in order to, to have fun with, with photography. Yeah. And the only reason why I prefer like, a Hasselblad or, or even like a manual focus camera like, like this is, um, I have, there is, I guess I, at least for me, I am very in tune to the process. It's like driving, you know, classic cars. I think it's probably the best uh, comparison is that the feedback that you get from your camp, from your car are all the reasons why you're more in tune with whatever you're using to drive it with. Right. Mm-hmm. So, for me, manual focus, I'm just so in tuned to the, the feedback that I'm getting back from the camera that that's what is fun for me. So, um, so for her, it's, she has a, a much better selection of images at the end of the day with her stuff. And, um, and that's, that's the most important thing out of it. There, you don't have to go through the thick of it to, to get to a certain level of, uh, uh, of being a great photographer. It never really, you know, made sense to me. You know, we have all our different, um, approaches to how we want to photograph. And, um, you know, so she, she enjoys the process and that's, that's all that matters at the end of it. So, uh, I completely agree with you that, um, you know, it's kind of interesting with granary. Um, I think it's kind of a bit of a double-edged blade and, and I, I, I completely understand your perspective on this. And I hope that, uh, Kyle Granary, uh, certainly considers this because I know he kind of gave a statement on some of the feedback that he got where he's like, Hey, I'll, eventually we'll get to that point. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, at least for me, I, I give him a little bit of grace because he's literally just one dude that is, you know, developing this platform and it's interesting because uh, you know during my day uh, you know i work with software development as well that he's starting off with a platform that is so small and so like a very small population that he gets that so right lay down the foundational work and then go for the big fish yeah and from a growth perspective if it's this very fine balance right like if he can do that right and then say okay now we're going to do um, digital cameras, then I completely agree with that. I completely agree with you that in the sense that you shouldn't close out from other people. 
I think that the timing of his platform and then this detection of Instagram that happened was just really bad timing for him. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think at the same time, um, uh, it was kind of like, kind of, I don't want to say backfired on him per se, but you know, he kind of got a bad, um, bad PR from, you know, deleting some of those digital images from, you know, from the platform. And he said, he even said that he absolutely hated doing it. Yeah. I saw saw his apology about that. Well, and not really apology, but like statement about it. Right. So it's a delicate balance. I do hope that he does open it up. You're absolutely right. I would love to see more photographers uh, enter the platform. Uh, I think variety as far as the platforms that we jump on uh, is important. Mm -hmm. And then making sure that, you know, we find the right one because, I remember I was one of the very early people that jumped on Vero and like the version of Vero that I was on, it was like, Hey, we need a license from you and like your personal information. I was like, like a driver's license. In. Yeah. 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 It was just like, what the fuck? Hold on. I just signed in and, and we're getting married now. I was like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm out. So, so now granted, that was a long time ago. This was like, 2016, 17, Vera's been out for a while. So they went through, like when I signed back in to see, okay, what were they doing? You know, there was a whole big revamp uh, of it. So like that wasn't even a thing at that point, you know? So like there was like a whole uh, complete restructure. They might've even sold ownership. I don't even know. I'm, I shouldn't even say that because I don't even know. But, um, you know, so, so when I heard Vera was kind of like, kind of like the hot topic i was just like interesting i i'm surprised and then i was more interested in getting back into it and so you know i i signed back in there was my the two people that i followed very early on and uh and at that time it was mike padua and um uh zach Arias. and so those are the only two people that you know i followed at the time very early on and uh they were still still there and everything like that. So, um, I don't know. I just, I agree with you. Instagram is a great tool for me to communicate. Um, not because of the followers or anything along those lines, just, but like, you know, the, the connectivity that we're having with each other and being able to, you know, network with each other, uh, has been, uh, a great tool for me. So, um, so for me, at least, uh, Instagram is where I'm kind of hanging out. i dabbled with reels and TikTok and all that stuff, <laughs> um, you know, and, and got a lot of growth from it. I'm not going to lie from it. And, but I did it because it was a creative outlet and I thought, Hey, let's just try and have fun with this. And, um, and so it kind of stopped to a certain extent. Right. You know, and, um, you know, the people were like, Oh, you did that one where, you know, you and your wife and everything along those lines. And, uh, uh, you know, I was just like, how do you remember that guys? Like that was like a 15 second clip. I, I'm shocked that, you know, 15 seconds could be so resounding for somebody, you know? So like, I felt like, you know, the, you know, uh, nothing against like, um, uh, you know, uh, Maddie, um, over on YouTube or anything along those lines where he was just like, you know, he's very like anti TikTok because of just short form content. Dude, I, fu- I fucking I love TikTok. I, I don't post it, on it, it much, it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Well, it's just like, if you have a good um, story to tell, 
then you can, you know, that, that that's what it kind of like made sense for me was like the challenge of how do I make something resound with somebody with within 15 seconds, right? And so like I was so used to these big productions on YouTube and all that stuff and like putting so much money into, you know, a production and then, you know, only get a couple thousand views and then I do something really stupid, you know, for 15 seconds and then, you know, it gets, you know, 15 or, or a half a million views, you know, it's just like, uh, it didn't, it didn't, uh, you know, it was hard for me to kind of grasp that. And then that's kind of where I was just like, I'm kind of done with YouTube. Right. You know, like the amount of time and effort that I was putting into creating content on YouTube was, you know, much you know, more, uh, time consuming than something that was on, um, uh, on TikTok or reels or whatever. And, you know, uh, it was fun while it lasted and everything. And hopefully at one point, um, you know, I'll certainly come back to it. Um, but, uh, I have more of an interest in, you know, making this cinema film right now. That's really cool about the cinema film. Um, I just signed up for Vero. So if you want to be my friend, I'm Merlin DB on there. I may not okay. post on it a lot like Granary. I think I have like six photos on Granary. But, um, you know, whatever. Convince me to make a move. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it, so, for for me, Instagram's always been about community and connecting with people. And using visual as, as the medium for it. And... I've always been drawn to that because there's a lot of honesty in, in imagery and uh, you know, versus something like Twitter or something like Facebook or things like that, where you make these big, long, elaborate posts. Like, you know, sometimes I put wordy shit in my photos, but um, it's just neat being able to connect with the visual things that are important to other people. Um, Cause it's interesting to see what's important to other people. Um, cause you know, when, when people are like, you know, genuinely posting on Instagram, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting snapshot of their lives and things that they care about and things that are important. And like, there's that fakery of course, but that's everywhere. Like, you know, you, you find that in right. real life too. Like, you know, there's, as long as humans exist, we're always going to be doing dumb shit to like make us look better than we, we probably are. Um, sure. but on, on the thing with, with your wife there of like, you know, the, the torturing yourself to be an artist about it. Like, I, I don't understand why, why people think that should be a thing. Like, um, I've taken some great photos. People seem to like them. I've been told they're like, you know, by some people, um, I'm really fucking lazy though. And I have no idea how my camera really works. So it's like most of the shit I do is on like a Nikon F5 autofocus is on that thing. Uh, I use aperture priority and, uh, you know, it's just kind of like, I figured out a method that kind of works. Um, and even when I shoot manual stuff, like the M3 was cool. Um, cause like you said, when, once you spend some time with it, like, like an old car or something like that, you're like, I don't need to actually meter because, um, this lighting looks like, you know, I used like F8 and like a 125th with this lighting before. So you're just like, that's probably what I'll do on this one. Um, and then even with like focusing, like once you get used to distances, you don't even have to really use the rangefinder most of the time. You can just yeah. be like, you know, this is, this is what I'm going to do. It's a point and shoot. Yeah, exactly. It, it, and that's where like, I never really understood the Leica hype 
And I always thought there was like a degree of douchebaggery around it until I used the M3. And then I was like, well, fuck. There's still a lot of douchebaggery, but now I want one. Like, it just. <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them. Well, and I, I got to say, like, it is an excellent piece of machinery. So if, if you're into street photography and you like something light that you could just, like, walk around with, it's great. I don't think there's anything better than it. And and that's why when, when you look at like so many of the street photographers that, that are prolific out there, or they're all shooting some kind of Leica because it's just, it's a good piece of kit and you don't have to worry about it breaking down. Like, you know, it's, it's pretty freaking robust. Um, so as I, I understand, it's, it's kind of funny uh, though. It, it's kind of funny though. Like, some of the photographers that I really enjoy their street photography aren't using Leicas and stuff mm. like that. Like, um, I, I really appreciate, I know, uh, Stanley, if Stanley's still here, uh, Ed Conde, um, he, out in LA, um, he shoots a lot with, a, uh, with an LCA and, that's um, a great little camera too. And it's a fantastic little camera. It's not expensive. And, um, it definitely has its flaws, but like, he has certainly leaned in mm -hmm. to those flaws and knows how to exploit them and everything along those lines. And I really appreciate it. He, he sent me a, a nice, uh, uh, layover is the name of the, the, uh, the zine where, uh, you know, he was in between airports and he has a little bit of a layover. And so he's like, I'm going to just walk around with this LCA and, and take some pictures. And I really enjoyed his photography from that little zine and, um, and I was just like, dude, Ed, these images are amazing. What did you shoot on this? He's like, this little Loma LTA. I'm like, damn. Okay. All right. I mean, you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong. I mean, like I, I have three like this. Uh, I mean, I hate the nip, but, um, it's good. It, it's, it's, you know, dependable equipment, you know, and, you know, I enjoy the, the Leicas that I have, but, you know, uh, there's definitely been a lot of cameras that, you know, I went after and then got it in my hands. And I'm like, this is shit. I, I'm not, I'm not blown away, away by it. And, and I don't know what the hype is around there. So I ended up selling it right, you know, two days later, you know, um, you know, I, I think that's just kind of, uh, the progression. And, uh, you know, I think, what was it? Um, you know, it's kind of funny, um, like the point and shoot stuff, right? So a lot mm. of people don't understand the hype around point and shoots and the prices that skyrocketed and everything. Oh, they're insane. The box, right? So they're insane. And I picked one up that um, I actually have quite enjoyed, a, a probably surprisingly too much. And it's a Nikon AF600. Oh, that's a great a little camera. F yeah, yeah, so yeah. You, know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a, uh, but a lot of people never really paid, paid attention to it until just now recently. I don't know why, but it's uh, it's a it's a three point five mm -hmm. uh, aperture, right? So a lot of people kind of get turned off that. Like I don't know why so many people are like, oh, you gotta have a two point eight, right? Like you're never not you're not really going to, you know, you're not going to get any control and aperture in in a. Uh, can't stop down. It's all going to be the shutter speed at that point, right? Well, so, and the problem with something so that's small really and light is you can't take advantage of, of um, a wide aperture anyways because unless you're putting it on a tripod, 
it's so light you're gonna get some kind of shake with it like it's just it's exactly. like nearly impossible yeah so but i will admit that this one nikon af600 it was just kind of nice to just throw it in there and just not think about it and then just go and and have fun and then like i was legitimately impressed with you know getting some of these images back where like the colors were just very saturated the way that the lens is and you know uh, put the light onto the film like just the colors were just so punchy and i was just like whoa this is this is kind of fun you know so like to a certain extent like i will never i still will never pay you know six seven hundred bucks for uh, you know a gr1 or whatever or anything but like or even a contact t2 but like this like it kind of it kind of changed my mind a little bit that you know hey you know what for for you know 150 bucks 200 bucks yeah I'll throw that in for for a point shoot just so that I can you know throw that into my pocket and you know have the power of a 28 millimeter you know without a shoulder bag and all that stuff 150 bucks that might be worth it you know and yeah. if you kind of think about you know if a if and I think I saw Brandon Remler connect in here, if he's still connected in over at Fujifilm, if Fujifilm ever brought back a, a film point and shoot and they sold it for a thousand dollars, I'd pay for it. I'll be honest. I'll pay a thousand dollars for a brand new point and shoot camera. I'd do it. Yeah. Uh, I think that the technology that would go into it, I think would be a fair price at that point. So when you kind of think about it uh, for a new camera, for a new point and shoot camera, a thousand dollars is not crazy. I don't think. No, I, I don't think it's crazy at all for for a new one. Um, it's crazy yeah. that people are spending that on old ones. Um, and, mm-hmm. and like you said, sometimes um, you buy cameras that you think are going to be like awesome and then you end up hating them. Um, one of those cameras for me was the Nikon 35 Ti. Um, it is still hands down the most beautiful camera I've ever owned. It was an absolute object of desire. I still like lust for the beauty of the camera, but it was the most infuriating fucking point and shoot I've ever used. (laughs) It just like, you know, almost all of the film that I got out of it was, it just pissed me off because it has like, it's a single point autofocus on it and you have to really pay attention to where you're pointing it. Otherwise, like it's just going to be all blurry and shit unless you're going to do manual focus. And, then it had that stupid panorama switch on the back of it that if you didn't pay attention, like if you put it in your pocket or something, you could accidentally like turn that on and now all of a sudden your fucking photos are ruined by the fake panorama bullshit. So that got gaffer taped like <laughs> after the first two rolls, it ruined that for me. And it's just like, I wanted to love that camera so bad, just so bad. Yeah. And I just like, I fucking hate you. Like it just, it ended up sitting yeah. on my shelf most of the time and I would just like, see that it um <laughs> i honestly like the fucking lamography re- reusable camera more than the 35 ti like that's a cool little point and shoot like if you want to have something that's like cheap and cheerful and like a shit ton uh, shit ton of fun those lamography simple mm-hmm. reuse cameras are so great like it's just they're and they're so cheap that you literally can just like toss it around and not feel bad about it but the pictures that come out of it are really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing that, um, you know, you kind of think about how long glass has been, been made for, for thousands of years. And, you know, you would think that, Oh, this, 
piece of glass is, you know, 150 years old, it's going to be utter crap. No. You might want to reconsider that. You know, it's, it's, we, we, we as humans have known glass for a very long time. And, and the fact that we can uh, do that to plastic now is, is pretty uh, fascinating, right? So uh, and that speaks to my little Holga that I have, you know, that, you know, plastic is not fantastic, but uh, certainly it can, uh, it can hold its own, right? So absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's quite fascinating on that. So, but Brandon, I'll tell you reply in there. Oh, you make it. Fujifilm needs to bring back a point-and-shoot film camera. You call Brandon Remler and harass him about it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see Fuji start giving a shit about customers, because that would be really cool. Like, <laughs> it's like, come on, Fuji. Do something that proves you love us, because, like, all you really do is, like, hey, you really like this thing? Oh, we see you're buying it? Cool, we're going to stop making it. Fuck you, Fuji. <laughs> yeah, like it's just I'm I'm still I'm still salty at them for killing pack film. Like that's something that I will never forgive them for. Mm. Like that's just you know. Well, you know, uh, here let me let me turn you around on that though, uh, and and to Brandon's defense. On okay. Um, Blink twice think, if you're safe. Um, I think my opinion that Fujifilm they'll say uh, we're committed to film. I think so and the reason why is Instax has been a you know it's their biggest you know they make a lot of money off of Instax I don't even, I'm not even going to say the number because I don't know but I know it's a lot right yeah. but um, people that get into Instax are going to naturally want to progress to the next thing because shooting the on this and seeing your image come up uh, right there in front of you is a magical thing, right? And and for some people that can be incredibly addicting and the natural progression will be, well, what's next? Yeah. And then that's when they start discovering film. So I actually have to kind of tip my hat to Fujifilm um, to say, you know, that the fact that they uh, are getting people interested in film and then that progression into, you know, on, shooting it on celluloid Mm-hmm. I think is uh, still, I think, just incredibly important. So, uh, Brandon, go ahead and just write that check next to me and just put yeah, it I in mean, the mail. It's, uh, a, and- it's important. It's a gateway to go somewhere else, though, because, like, yeah, you buy an Instax and then you want to shoot a film. Well, Fuji keeps killing all their fucking film stocks, and they don't make film cameras anymore unless you're buying disposables. So you're, like, you go down this rabbit hole, and then you end up, like, you know, buying, like, Ilford or Kodak instead. Um, Instax, I love the film. The medium is a beautiful medium and I will, I will never shit on it from that perspective. All of the Instax cameras are just pieces of shit. Like it's just, you know, why, why have this beautiful film that is so gorgeous when you use a real camera with it? Why not? Why not make a camera that's like a little bit more because people will buy it. People will absolutely buy it I if think, Fuji gave them a better option, but it's just like yeah. I don't know, like the the wide and, and like I specifically think, for the wide, like the the wide options for that are just yeah. abysmal, like just fucking abysmal. So let me let me ask you this though: so what would be the percentage of the people though that 
get into it and then they want aperture control and all that stuff. And, and I'll, I'll well, I'm not, I'm not even saying aperture control, somewhere. just like a nicer camera that doesn't look like you could use it as a murder weapon that has like you know, better <laughs> optics on it. Cause it's like, they, they could make a smaller wide camera like, like, you know, other people have. So it's like, well, it, yeah. you don't have to have all the manual functions, but just something that gives you a cleaner image out of it. Cause I I've used a bunch of the different Fuji insects wide options and I've just never, I haven't tried the 500 yet, but I've seen it in action and that's a nice camera. Do something like the 500 again. That was that was a good camera. Yeah. That that camera respected the film enough. It's like these other cameras don't respect yeah. the film. It's kind of interesting um, because I think in my mind, um, you know, you have Mint that uh, you know really has done some really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think in my mind, it's like if if there's a will and somebody an opportunity to let's just say at the end of the day it's a business we want to make money off of it um somebody's going to do it at a scale that's incredibly profitable for them and um and fuji just keep it just helps fuji at the end of the day saying hey if other people are making it then we don't have to change anything we do we just keep making what they are going to continue to buy to shoot that with so in a way i kind of think it kind of helps feed these startups and we have companies like, you know, Lomography making their stuff. Yeah. They, they certainly have iterated to creating, you know, because there have been so many people make one for four by five and, you know, yeah. and, and somebody did, you know, and, and, and now there is an option to go out there and, and buy that. So I think, uh, in a weird way, trying to turn, spin that into a positive <laughs> is that, uh, Fuji film doesn't have to do that as long as that they, create the medium to photograph on it. It creates other people to be able to do that. Um, yeah. And, you know, getting to play with the Lomograph uh, uh, back, uh, you know, it's like the fact that they figured out how to do it and they're making money off of it at the scale that they're at, you know, kudos to them. And, you know, uh, and yet yeah, it's, it's quick and easy to kind of say, Fujifilm, you should do this. Uh, and I do it enough with, uh, with Brandon myself on our phone calls with them. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, uh, the, the perspective and the scope and the enlightening conversations that I have with them is that, well, it sounds like lomography has got it figured out, you know, um, you know, or something along those lines or, you know, that, Hey, there's this new company that created a rangefinder for Instax. You know, yeah. like that's crazy talk right there. And somebody did it, you know? And, um, so I don't necessarily think that Fuji is but the end all be all answer for it. That, but I do think pack film should not have been killed. No, pack film should have never been killed. It was like fucking terrible, but also, um, <laughs> you just made a lot of excuses for them and you defended them a lot. <laughs> that's fair. All and, all um, you know, you've basically, uh, excluded them from responsibility. <laughs> so it's like, why should we have to do this? Because so, it's, it's like, you know, when you see someone getting beat up on the street, you're like, why should I call a cop? Someone else is going to do it. It's like, you know, maybe you should call just in case someone else didn't. Um, all I'm saying is 
Fuji has a shit ton of resources and it would be a lot easier for them to put a dev team together to make some cool shit than it would be for a small company like Lomography, which, um, you know, is probably a fart in the wind compared to some of the other dev teams that they have. Same with Mint. Like, you know, why, why should they just shoulder that on them when it will absolutely make them more money, but we know that they want to make even more money, which is why they killed pack film for cosmetics. And, you know, I don't hold that against them completely, but I still hold it against them, you know? (laughs) Well, I mean, here's the crazy thing. So like, uh, the amount of money that Kodak made, excuse me, uh, in an entire year, you can kind of look at their, you know, financial statements and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like Kodak, made like 250 million dollars like this was a few years ago 250 million dollars fujifilm made like three or four billion dollars yeah so that 250 million for all of kodak surmounted to not even one percent of what fujifilm has their hands in and like even then their photography overall we're talking not only you know uh in stack but as well as their uh, X cameras and stuff like that still surmounts to like 3%, 3 or 4% of everything else that Fuji does. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I remember seeing headlines during COVID that Fujifilm was, you know, working on some kind of uh, vaccination, you know, and then their Fujifilm stock like went through the, through the roof at that point, you know, mm-hmm. it, you know, the, their med- their investments in medical certainly helped push, you know, for people to have fun with cameras, you know? Um, so it's quite fascinating once you kind of put those pieces in together and you can just kind of see where those things start to line up that like all of that Kodak made for an entire year didn't even make up for 1% of what Fuji made. And then that just, you kind of, it's kind of like a mind blown moment when you kind of see that land. Yeah. But you know, it's even mind blowing, even though they're smaller, they still cared about their customers a lot more. (laughs) and and you know not to completely shit on fuji because like as much as i i like to do that you know i have a fuji printer thingy that is really fucking cool um i'm for the youtube i'm you know broadcasting video off of an xt2 you know x mount camera um my digital shooter when i'm out on the streets is a fuji x pro 2 I begrudgingly buy Fuji products because they're good, but I know that like an abusive stepdad, they don't really love you. <laughs> well, I'm trying, Brandon. I'm trying, buddy. I'm trying to. I'm trying to help uh, Merlin here out. So, but uh, uh, no, Brand- no, Brandon, no, you should no. you should come do an episode sometime, and it would be. I would love to like hear a Fuji take, and I promise I would be gentle. So if if uh, if you're Brandon's down, great guy. If you ever, if, if you're down, yeah, give me a, a follow guy. and DM me, and you know, I I would I would love to be converted. You know, I I, I will hold one of those signs. It's like you know, show me like you know, I don't think Fuji cares. Um, change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great guy, though. Uh, he he certainly um, has been. Um, you know, because I was definitely on the the fuck Fuji film train when Pack Film was dying off and everything, yeah. and um, and uh, there was an article that I wrote years ago about um, uh, about the kind of understanding where things were kind of like you know 
the realization that Fujifilm was kind of getting out of the film game before you know, they even realized that, you know, it was making a resurgence, right? So, like, I kind of wrote an article, it kind of went viral um, as a result of that, and that's when he reached out, and, you know, we, we had, you know, he didn't drop any secrets or anything along those lines, but he certainly kind of brought perspective that kind of, in a way, kind of matured me uh, and an understanding, you know, how the industry, you know, interconnects with each other and how one decision can impact another, and you know, it, it was, it, and I think that I have to really uh, tip my hat to him for, you know, kind of educating me on, on how everything, you know, to always consider, you know, if, when Fujifilm uh, say we're not making 400H anymore, like the first thing that came to my mind was, what are the guys of the Lars thinking right now? Because now there's no substitute for a Pro 400 film. Mm-hmm. Everybody, all the wedding photographers are now going to, jump on the Porsche 400 bandwagon because they have to now. And it's exactly what happened. Uh, it completely messed up all the Lars's forecasting. And then they had to go back to the drawing board and go. Well, it, it gonna, wasn't, it wasn't you know, just there's that no there was also factory issues too. Um, so it was like a, yeah. a perfect storm of, um, Fuji pulling yeah. out of a medium and then Kodak being overwhelmed. And then, you know, you got to think, like, the Kodak factory is, like, over 100 years old. There's components yeah. that they use every day to make film that are, like, you know, like octogenarian age. Like, it's it's kind of it's yeah. kind of wild. And I was talking to Tim Raigo about this, and he's like, you know, I don't function as well as I did when I was in my 30s or 40s. So it's like, how do you think this equipment feels? And so it's just like, you know, stuff, and then you're, stuff you're needs operating them in the dark. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, and so it's, I, I understand all of that, um, sort of like the business relations and, and all those things, um, yeah. you know, from, from work. Cause like that's, I do that kind of stuff with tech and you have to understand like supply chain and like all these different things and how like, you know, um, the heat wave in China, that is going to really suck for all of us in a few more weeks. Like we won't, we don't feel the pain right now, but the pain's coming. And then the fucking canal is, is blocked up again. Another shipping, no, it was a oil tanker this time blocked it up. So it's like between that and China, you know, buy, if you need electronic shit, batteries, things like that, buy them right now before they get like insanely expensive in, in a couple of weeks. Like, you know, all it can take is one bad typhoon and and it messes up, uh, you know, a whole production line for, an entire supply chain, you know, it's, it's crazy that, you know, how fragile in general supply chain can be uh, coming from, from uh, well, the Pacific. And it's just, so, it's, it's crazy how fragile our world is that we um, yeah. take for granted all the time. Like, um, I think it was last month or something like that. Uh, one of our major internet providers in Canada, um, someone did a massive career limiting move and fucked up a configuration on a core router somewhere that basically deleted Rogers from the internet and thus stranding all of their customers, internet, telephone, the whole gamut. And our government is so brilliant that they single sourced everything. So, um, all of our government also disappeared for like a day and a half because, you know, instead of having vendor diversity where it's like, Hey, you know, maybe instead of just having one provider, we should have two. Cause right. what, what happens if they go the Oh, they'll never go away. But why pay for two people when you could just pay for one. And then, you know, 
nine one one services vanished, like all all these things. It was it was insane. People were like, well, how could this happen? And it's like, well, if you understand how the internet really works, you'd be really terrified about it because the internet's basically like three kids in a trench coat giving us websites. Like it's well, I, 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 and make a bad pun and saying I didn't hear any of this. Well, a lot of people didn't hear from anyone for a while in Canada. It, it was it was kind of funny. Like I, I'm with one of the other providers, so um, or two of the other providers. So it's like my studio was fine, my house was fine, my phones, iPad were all fine. So I couldn't make that excuse of like, oh, I can't work today because I can't connect anything. You know, it's <laughs> darn. <laughs> but it's it's interesting, like how fragile our our world is. We we take all of these conveniences. Yeah for granted um everywhere like you know even being able to buy film is a, is an insane convenience like you know by all accounts yeah. film should have died in the mid 2000s and and it did for a while like it was it was completely yeah. gone and uh i think we have to like give kodak um a lot of credit for for bringing it back um yeah. I don't really like their well, CEO the very much, but you know, he did a good thing yeah. convincing Hollywood to start using film again. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting thing because, um, I, I think more so there's more pressure on Kodak now than they are dealing with in 2012 Yeah, because they're at a point. And I, I was just in the conversation with a friend about this the other day that, we have never seen anything like this. Like Kodak has never dealt with, you know, not being able to meet demand. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so this is a, this is completely different territory for, for Kodak. Right. And, uh, 2012 was different because they were cutting fat. Now they're, they're not, they're, they're too lean and, um, and they have to grow or meet that demand or grow. And so that balancing act of scales of economy to meet that demand and make investments into growing, well, then what happens if, you know, there's a sudden shrinkage now they, you know, spent all this money trying to invest in something that just, you know, collapses in on them. It's a, it's a very delicate balance to iterate up um, for them. And I mean, they're doing really cool stuff. I don't know if you caught the news on them where, they're, they're using their film technologies for solid state lithium ion batteries. That's really cool. And, and so like, I'm just sitting here going, like I was in conversation with a friend about that, where it was just like, they're, they're trying so hard to use what they, I mean, they're using film for, you know, what's on our LCD screens for, you know, our phones and circuitry and all that stuff. So, you know, they have their hands in a lot of other things and, and stills photography, even though like there's just this crazy demand for it, it still is very, very minuscule in comparison to all the other deliverables that they have to meet as well. And like, even then, you know, motion picture, um, is, is a huge, the demand for film from the motion picture industry dwarfs stills Absolutely, and the, and the yeah. needs from it is, is like, you know, uh, it's quite fascinating because, you know, getting into Atlanta Film Co. was kind of like, before I even jumped into it, I was I was talking to Kodak Hollywood and said, hey, this is my plan. This is what we want to do. You know, like, how good are you guys? 
right? Like, because I don't want to like get into this and then, you know, there's a shortage and then, you know, I'm not making money and all that stuff. And, um, and they're like, nothing to worry about. Like we, we've been dealing with this demand, like, and every order that I put through, I'm, I'm putting in massive orders with them just because of the sheer growth. I mean, like this right here is, is 1500 feet uh, of film. This is like, uh, a quarter mile of film that I ordered and it was on my front doorstep in two days. Yeah. So I am very grateful that whatever Kodak Motion Picture uh, and whatever they're doing right, um, you know, the, there hasn't been an issue. And I keep asking them, like, how good are you guys? Because I'm just so used to like things being so bad on the still side that they're like, but as big as an order as you want, we're good. We, you know, we got you covered. And so, well, yeah, because they're they're the priority. Because you, you don't want to make Hollywood wait. So, like, you know, Hollywood's no, not going to be like, oh, I'll wait like six months or whatever. Like, no, they're not going to do that. Right. I mean, you, you got uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, Oppenheimer. You know, it's coming out pretty soon. That's a hundred million dollar budget movie. Mm-hmm. That like you cannot like you cannot miss. Uh, uh, deliverables for, uh, you know, to move production schedules because you couldn't meet the demand for film. Like that's, that's brutal. You know, like you can't, you have to meet that demand. The stakes are so much higher at that point. So, um, so what's 400 feet when they got to deliver hundreds of thousands of feet and even then 65 millimeter, hundreds of thousands of feet in that regard. So, um, you know, so, I'm incredibly appreciative of this partnership or the, let's say, uh, with, with Dunley Photo and then we're using the services that Kodak Motion Picture Film Lab Atlanta is offering where, um, you know, we're, we're now spooling down that motion picture film and this is the uh, 500T. And so we're, you know, because one of the biggest problems that we're, we were having at Dunley Photo was we would put in an order for, you know, these color uh, films for spills and we were waiting three months and like we we're dealing with people coming in every single day. You got any color film? You got any color film? You got a color film? And we're like, we're waiting. We're, we put in an order months ago and we can't get our hands on it. And so we were kind of backed into a corner. So well, what if we tried this and granted it's the, you know, the ramjet is on it, but let's talk to Kodak motion picture film lab Atlanta tell them our situation and see if we can, you know, come up with something. And so, um, they said, let's give it a shot. And, um, and so we've been offering it and, and it's been, uh, wildly successful. Uh, and so, uh, we've opened it up to where if you're shooting your own EC and two and stuff like that, we'll take it, you know, uh, so you don't have to buy Atlanta film Co. to get access to EC and two. And, and so we have been keeping a steady flow and, you know, we get customers that come into Dunwoody Photo to say, hey, we want to buy, um, you know, color film. We say, well, we have this cinema film. Yeah. Um, and the only caveat out of all this is shoot as you would normally. Just make sure you bring it back to us because nobody else really can process it. Maybe a couple other people. But if you bring it back to us, well, you don't need to worry about any of the other stuff that you have to deal with it. And, and for the most part with the foot traffic, people are just kind of like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to bring it back to you guys anyway. And so now we have been able to meet a demand for color negative in the Atlanta area. 
And it has been, I would say, word has gotten out because now it's like, the great thing is the the speed of me being able to put an order in. I'm now at a point where if I put uh, their West Coast, so if I get an order in by 2 or 3 p.m., it, it will be at my front doorstep next day now. And, cool. and I can spool it up and, and now I can get, you know, up to close to 80 rolls on one can of 400 feet. And now we're meeting a demand for color negative and our turnaround time is pretty consistent now. We're, we're down to a week. So we do our batches. We'll drop off on a Tuesday and then we let a batch grow. And then the following Tuesday we go to drop off and then we pick up what we dropped off the week before. And then we just do that over and over again. And it's, you know, C41 is still significantly huge. You know, uh, Dunwoody Voters processing yeah. easily 150 to 200 rolls a day um, on color negative. And so now we're at 30, 35 rolls a week with EP2, yeah. which is not huge, but it's up. It's, it's growing. And now we're getting people mailing it into Dunwoody photo, uh, for processing. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, you know, I know there's been some pushback, uh, about mixing, uh, EC and two with the C41 world and everything along those lines. But, uh, one of the biggest things for me is to make sure that, um, that there is a level of education that, you know, I, and the second I say EC and two to the customer, I've lost them. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't even need to say EC and two. Like they're not going to know and they're not going to care. Yeah. All I just tell them is this is a cinema film and the cinema film needs a special handling that we can handle. Mm-hmm. And, or, you know, and if somebody, you know, I, I have I want to certainly support, you know, the other labs that are doing it. Like, you know, they're not, uh, they're doing it by hand. So like boutique film lab, uh, up in, uh, Juliet, Tennessee, and then a Midwest, uh, filming company. They're also doing it, uh, by hand processor or anything along those lines. So, but you know, they're doing it and there are options out there. We talk to each other and, um, and we certainly want to be supportive because the overall goal is that we're increasing, um, the volume of, you know, being able to shoot color negative ECN2. So, um, so yeah, that's, you know, we're, we're, we're up, uh, three films now, you know, we got the 500T, the 250D and the 200T. And, um, uh, for, for only the listeners here, uh, we'll, we'll be releasing this one. This is, uh, U fork 100. Uh, this is a slide film, Ooh. uh, uh and it will be offered, uh, much cheaper than the current offering of the Kodak slide film that is out there. And, um, but the cool thing is what you can do with this. If you've seen season two of euphoria, um, then you know what uh, the cinematographer did with that film. And I'll, I'll leave it at that because I don't want to give everything away, but we're, <laughs> we're in the process of testing the film out and getting it into the hands of cinematographers to, to create a very cool look. Uh, with this film. So we're, we're certainly trying to branch out and, uh, you don't have to run this three ECN two. You can, you know, it even says here, no, whoops, uh, here you go. Uh, there it is. Uh, it says E6 on it. So, oh, cool. you know, you don't have to bring it back to us. You take it to any lab that will do E6 processing, or if you're really want to feel inventorous, then it's a, you know, to us back to us and you know process it uh via ecn2 
and uh, you'll get things that will look very special. So, well, if, if, um, you ever, if you ever I, need a guinea pig, I have not announced that yet. If you ever yeah. need a guinea pig, I'll, feel I'll free to send it. stuff up to Canada. <laughs> All right, dude. Should it's DM me. I'll send. I'll send you one. Awesome, dude. You're a very fascinating guy. I really appreciate um, you spending some time with me today. Like, I feel like we could talk for hours. <laughs> oh, I, I would. I would love that. Um, I don't think people would watch that long. I think. Yeah, I well, maybe they would. I don't know. It's 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 interesting how how this all works because like originally when I started doing this like Instagram would cap you at an hour, um, so yeah. just have like shorter conversation. But when they like took the cap off, you know I've had some really long conversations on here, which have been fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's always cool to, like hear hear people's opinions, and it's it's so cool what you're doing to like you know um, help people with this the the problem we're having of, of getting color color film like i didn't realize how serious of a problem it was um because i've been shooting through like this a stash that i've had for a while and i was like oh i'm getting low on film i should go buy some and then i'm like there's no fucking color film anywhere like what the shit um right. so it's it's cool that you've uh you you kind of found a solution around it it sounds really interesting too it's a small one, you know, um, and, you know, it, it certainly, again, this was in, initially intended for Atlanta. <laughs> and then, you know, and then the second we, you know, people were like, you got to put this on the internet. Like, I'm, I'm dying for color film here as well. And so um, I'm like, okay, we'll do this. But you got to understand, you, like, it's got to go through ec Please, for the love of God, don't send this to, you know, the dark room. Like, the last thing I want is the dark room or the you know, uh, indie film lab or the even fine lab to be upset with me because now they're seeing this huge influx of EC and two. But at the same time, my hope is that, that they do see, Hey, we're seeing a lot of EC and two starting to hit us. Maybe we should start considering adding this because there are, you know, it's not true, true EC and two, but, uh, you know, QWD lab has a five liter kit out there and it's, a good kit mm-hmm. and probably the closest you can get before getting to an ECN2 processor and they're making it. And, and so there, there's definitely options out there and I, I wouldn't, you know, I would, you know, sure, please support Atlanta film code. But I mean, you know, we're, you know, there, there are people out there that are trying to do it as well. So if you want to get it to, you know, if you're out West coast and you want to get it to, the you know uh, midwest uh, film company then please you know do so in in that regards you know so you know we're, we're just you know i i certainly want to be supportive of, of the other folks that are in the industry as well this isn't about me this is making you know there's film out there and um there are people have been schooling forever and um and so we're just trying to educate and show that hey if you really want to you can make money off of film Mm-hmm. And, um, you don't have to be, um, uh, dependent on it. You're not going to lose money off a of film. Like, you know, get, get a 400 foot can, learn how to do it yourself and not only save money, but throw up an Etsy store and offset the cost. And then now you can enjoy film without having to spend tons of money on it, you know? So Absolutely. there are, there are options out there. Dude, man, it's, it's really nice to hear um, someone who's so passionate 
about the community and it's like you know your defense of fuji was wonderful um i really appreciated that honestly um because it it's it's not we all shit on them a lot and like you know don't don't get me wrong like i'm very grateful for it like i love my fuji cameras a lot i mean it took a lot of crow to get there um but you know it's i believe daddy loves me now kind of a little bit um maybe (laughs) You know, it's been really great chatting with you, man. And uh, I hope we can cross paths in the real world sometime. I think that would be a lot of fun to to do something. And well, uh, you got me really thinking hard about Polycon, so I'll, I'll definitely let you know. I'll see if uh, the stars align for that, and I'll Dude, certainly if, reach out to you if you if you could make it out. So it's it's the last weekend of September. Um, so it's like uh the very last weekend of september going into october so i think it starts like september 30th or like whatever and then it's like october 1st and 2nd um the friday starts in dallas for the opening of the texas state fair we do like a a walk around the fairgrounds and photos and shit like that and then the rest of it's in den texas which is like half hour 45 minutes from dallas um but lots of cool shit happens in denton and uh it's such a great event. I've missed it the last two years because of, you know, well, you, you know what happened. Um, so I'm excited to be going down and like, you know, seeing my polar pals and giving them hugs and in real life. So if you can make it out, definitely come out. It'd be, it'd be really cool. I think you'd enjoy it a lot. Yeah. I'll, uh, I do have a friend that lives down in Dallas, so I'm totally on board with saving a few bucks and sleeping uncomfortably on a sofa uh, just uh, just get it out there. So I, I think we can make that happen for sure. If you need a ride, I'm I'm driving down, so I'm gonna have my truck, so I can pick you up and like you know we can make shit happen. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me, Bill. Um, I've had a lot of fun. I hope I hope you had fun with it. Um, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have Mr. Mocha walk us out here. Um, next week I'm going to have. Uh, Ian from Tintype Trike on. Uh, he's in Vancouver, so it's going to be um, an in-studio live. Um, it'll be the first time trying multiple cameras on the YouTube stream, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but his work is really cool, so I'm uh, looking forward to that one. And uh, stay safe out there. Um, try not to be a dick to each other, I guess. You know? And just know that you're loved. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bill. I hope you have a great evening. Thanks, man. Had a blast. Uh, an honor to be on the show. Absolutely. We'll definitely talk soon. All right. Cheers, man. Definitely. Bye. Take care.